I think knowing the numbers is crucial. You got to know the numbers for that market. And you also have to take into effect all the factors of the property and its location. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him. And he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary, but he has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com. And you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation, got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him, and then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years, and I know him well, and I suggest that you get to know him as well. CoachWithTrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Larry Friedman and Frank Sanchez. How you two doing? Fantastic, Joe. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you both on the show and a little bit about this dynamic duo. They are the co-founders of SDF Capital, which is a real estate investment firm focused on acquiring distressed real estate. Primarily single to three units, so one, two, and three unit properties in the New York area. Larry is responsible for financially structuring the property acquisition, doing the asset due diligence and disposition strategies, while Frank is responsible for acquiring the properties and the overall strategy. They're based in New York. And with that being said, you two want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. Basically, Frank and I have been in real estate for collectively around 15 plus years. Our background, both of us, is in residential real estate. We started a real estate firm, pretty much him and I and a few other agents. We grew it from zero agents to over 500 agents over a 10-year span. At our peak, we had 12 offices and over 500 agents. And ultimately, what happened was our last acquisition, we partnered in with someone that wasn't, I'd say, a great partner and ultimately led to the demise of that real estate firm, or at least Frank's and my interest in the firm. And then from there, we always had an interest in property. We had flipped one prior to that, and we had loaned money to a couple of home flippers. So we decided, hey, this seems like it could be interesting. 
And about three years ago, him and I decided to start doing this full-time, and there we are today. So you're fixing and flipping or wholesaling? We do a combination of a couple of different exit strategies. We fix and flip, we wholesale, and we assign. Got it. Clearly, we have to talk about the partnership that didn't work out because you two were up to 500 agents. You grew up from zero, and then you mentioned there was another partner that didn't work out. What happened, and what would you do differently? We partnered in with someone who, on paper, everything looked great. We had complementary skills. This person was bringing a lot of agents to the table, 200 to be exact, as well as more of a focus on sales. We had a focus on rentals. However, we quickly started to realize that from a trust, from a personality standpoint, from a way to treat people, we just came from two completely different schools. And mm -hmm. it ended in a litigation and it ended in big fighting. And while we were fighting and litigating, agents want a stable place to work and it became unstable. And that led to the demise of what I think was a great firm. And just to answer your question, what I do differently is definitely know who you're partnering with. Paper looks great, but I don't think we did enough diligence. I don't think we spent enough time. Your partner ultimately comes almost like a best friend, and it's a very important decision. And I think the person's fiber is probably more important than what they bring to the table from a dollars and cents standpoint. Besides the lawyers who won the litigation? It was one of those that the lawyers definitely won. Nobody <laughs> won, essentially, Frank and I. The legal <laughs> fees were astronomical. Frank and I ultimately decided that this isn't really worth fighting anymore. And we saw greener pastures and just figured, you know what, it's, you know, this has run its course. And the two of us decided at that point, we're just going to see what we can do. We're young guys, and let's get into a different venture. So now fix and flip, wholesale and assigning, right? Correct. Okay. What's the last deal you two did? Describe it for us, please. Frank, do you want to go for that? Yeah, sure. The last one was actually one of our most exciting deals. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath, split-level in Rockland County. So we actually put it under contract. We put it under contract for 200000 And literally a week and a half later, we put it out there, we marketed it, and we were able to double close on it with the fund that we have. And we made a hundred grand spread. So we bought it for 200 and just closed for 300. So that was a great momentum swing coming into the new year. Well, it sure was. Yeah. And you mentioned you were able to double close with a fund that you have. What is this fund? Go ahead, Larry. We established a fund basically to fix and flip and wholesale. So we have approximately 12 high net worth individuals that have invested money into the fund called SDF Capital Fund One. And we used the fund to purchase and then dispose of the property. Okay. And how much did you raise? We raised 725000 It was a relatively small raise. And in hindsight, I didn't realize that the whole process is the same if you're raising $725 million. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a learning experience. And uh, we definitely will have another much larger fund. But this is a good start. You can't just add to it. I've never done a fund. So I don't know the details. Joe, from my understanding, we have a finite time frame. So it's a two-year close, hard close. So once the capital raise is over, that's it. That's the way this fund is structured. So that's the way ours specifically is. I'm not sure in general whether or not you can or cannot, but I know with ours, we couldn't because we have had others that have been interested in investing. We just have to turn them away. You, have the two year, you had two years to open up to investors and then close it out or two years for the entire life of the fund to be closed out? Two years for the entire life of the fund to be closed out. So from the day we started to essentially say, hey, the fund is 
opening and here is the date that the fund is starting. It's two years after that. So and that all, started after we had done our capital raise. All of your deals need to have closed out and gone full cycle within two years? Correct. So most of our deals are relatively short-term in nature. We're usually in and out anywhere between, as Frank said, a couple of weeks to six months. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Congrats on getting this fund together. What were some things that you learned while putting together this fund? Some of the things I think we learned essentially were that when you put a fund together, you have to know who is your target audience. So as we were speaking to people, because we do a lot of debt raising as well, certain people that we spoke with, they were not, say, comfortable with a two-year hold. So that was a question that people had. Other people really wanted more on the upside, so more of a profit split. So really, I think the most important things we learned were you really have to know, okay, this is the exact type of person that this makes sense for, whether it be an IRA investor, whether it be a high net worth individual with extra money. So I think just that focus on who is that avatar, essentially. That's number one, which I don't think we had that going into it initially. And then I'd say number two would be really streamline the structure, make it very simple to understand. Ours, I don't want to say it's overly complicated, but it's slightly complex. So I think going forward, our next phone would be much simpler. How would you make it simple? What would the structure be? Given what we're doing, the way I would do it is I would do some type of preferred, which we have now. I would offer a preferred, and then I would do an accrued return. Very simply, preferred, then an accrued return over the same two-year period. It's just much easier from an accounting standpoint as well. Accrued over return over two-year period as opposed to what? So we have a profit split, and then we have expenses as well in the fund. Uh-huh. So we have a preferred, but then there's expenses, and then there's an after-the-fact profit split, which it gets a little murky oh, because I bet. you have to figure out what is the profit. So that's kind of something that some investors wanted more clarity on. So again, in the future, I would just make it much simpler. Yep. So basically, it's like a debt deal for them. They know what they're getting, assuming that it goes according to plan. Exactly. And I think that for the type of investors that are attracted to what we're doing, I think that would be a better structure. How much does it cost to put together a fund? I've heard different numbers. We've spent between the filings, because we're in about four different states, as well as the legal work, we've spent around eighteen to 20000 That's, say, that's pretty, pretty good. I was expecting another zero on that. Yeah, I've heard the same. I've heard all different numbers. We tried to stay simple, and we we were only in four states. I think every time you do the blue sky and register in different states, it just adds to the cost. Are all of your investors in those four states as well? Yes, that's where they live. So my understanding from the securities rules are if you have an investor that lives in that specific state, you must register to do business and file in that state. Okay. Would you recommend some of the best ever listeners create a fund who are doing fix and flip projects on a one-off basis? No, no. I think <laughs> if you're doing a one-off <laughs> flip, fix and flips, I would just do that and make it very simple. The reason why Frank and I decided to go this route is we do a pretty decent volume and we do use hard money, but we also like to use more flexible money. And a lot of our investors, when they were investing with us, and we would cash them out of deals, they would say, hey, well, I don't want to be cast out of this deal. Like, I want my money to still work. So that's kind of the reason why we decided to go with this structure. But again, one or two deals a year or three deals a year, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother. It's, it's too much work. And there's also a lot of regulations, et cetera. That's interesting. So really, if we're a fix and flipper and 
we're cashing people out at a volume in which they want to get put back into deals and we're constantly having to put people back in and cash people out, put people in, then when it becomes that point of a headache, then you need to look at doing a fund. Is that right? I would think so. Or if you are tired of using hard money, although we love using hard money, but you know, it comes with mortgage recording tax and they bring in an appraiser and takes a little bit longer to get a deal done. So we just like that speed. Mm-hmm. With your deals, you said that you two do a high volume. How are you able to get so many leads? That's a good question, Joe. So basically the way we get leads is we have a very big marketing budget. We're spending $32,000 every single month, which is including uh, targeted marketing. So we're doing yellow letters, we're doing SEO, we're doing pay-per-click, we're doing a little bit of radio and TV, and it's uh, very targeted. So it's for people that have low LTVs, homes built in a certain year, usually in the 1950s, you know, probate situations, homes that are not financeable, people that have uh, tax liens and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they're calling us directly. All our deals are basically off-market deals directly with the sellers. And we're visiting their homes. We're sitting down with them and seeing if we can create a win-win situation with them where we're helping them. Let's go through a scenario. Your budget just got sliced in half which is still more than most people are spending every month. Where do you put that money? Honestly, I would say back in marketing. But where? Everything. Where specifically in marketing? Sure. I would say we're getting the most juice right now from direct mail. I think about 60% of our buys are coming from direct mail. How do you approach direct mail? Do you, Is it just a postcard or is there a system that you have in place? Yeah, we have yellow letters and we use a mail house and they, they basically send them out for us. Okay. We just give them a bunch of zip codes in our budget and it automatically gets sent out. We do two mail drops a month. So usually you want it right in the first week of the month and then we hit them again the third week and we repeat to the same sellers. They get a letter every three months. Okay. So we're, we're consistently sending that letter out. Every three months. So if I'm receiving your letters, then I get a, a letter from you the first week of the month and the third week of the first month. And then I get a letter from you every three months thereafter. Well, let me clarify that. So you would get a letter the first week of the month and then a letter three months from. from oh, okay. Got it. You so just split up the first batch. Months. Got it. Yeah, we split up the batch. Correct. Okay. And what do you say in your letter? We basically say that we are interested in buying houses in your neighborhood. If you're looking for an all cash offer with no repairs necessary, sell as is, close quickly, give us a call, essentially. Have you made any- a very simple letter. Have you made any changes to it over time? No, the letter is pretty much has been consistent. One of the things that we're contemplating doing is sending a postcard to some of the top zip codes in between that three-month period that Frank discussed, mm. which we know some other people are having a lot of success. It's like uh, just a, another touch. Okay. Because right now, that letter is in an envelope, so they have to open up the envelope? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and as Frank said, it is our bread and butter, but it, it's probably the highest cost of acquisition mm-hmm. is direct mail. But it is predictable. Obviously, our response rate keeps declining as we spend more money. But it is something that I'd say, like Frank said, the number one core strategy in a market. At least we found in our markets. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say being on the acquisition side, it's really buying the property at the correct numbers. We are in a risk business, buying it correctly, 
we really want it to allow us to have the most exit strategies and maximize our profits. I think knowing the numbers is crucial. You got to know the numbers for that market. And you also have to take into effect all the factors of the property and its locations. We've made countless mistakes that we can share with the best listeners ever on our first few deals, just having uh, errors with our after repair value numbers. We typically try to buy between 65 to 75% of the after repair value minus repair costs. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us the story of one of the lessons learned on when it didn't go the way you wanted? Yeah, for sure. So it was one of our like third homes we purchased. I went on the appointment. It was a three bedroom, two bath. So it was your Cape fault. In, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely my fault. Absolutely my fault. All, the, all the bad stuff is Frank's fault. There all you the go. From me, of course. <laughs> so I was running my comps and I have experience running comps. All the three twos are going for this price. All the capes, everything's in line within one mile of the subject properties. Basically how we run the comps going back six months. So I show up at the house, look over the repairs, speak to the owner, see if we can make a win-win situation, give him my offer, and all of a sudden he shakes my hand. And in the back of my mind, I said, something was just too easy with that. (laughs) After we bought it, I realized we only had one exit strategy, basically to rehab it. And what I missed is the house was across the street from a church, which I didn't factor into the value. And it also had what we call a funk factor. So basically... Yes, I was comping it as a three-bedroom, two-bath. However, this house, the configuration was very funky. To get to the master bedroom, which was like an extension, you had to go through like the dining room while people were eating. And then it was connected to a bathroom that Jack and Jill with the kitchen. And when you go up the stairs, if you're a big dude, it kind of gets real tight at the end. You got to squeeze up onto the second floor and the shower you couldn't put your full body in the shower that was ricocheting <laughs> off the wall, the water. It was just nuts. And we did a full-blown rehab, which this market oh, yeah. did not command the finishes that me and Larry did. But another lesson to the best listeners ever is don't over-rehab. So we put in the marble, we put in the new hardwood floors, high hats, the whole bag, picture moldings. And we had a listed at a price the market wasn't going to pay. And again, the lesson there was just I should have took probably a 20% discount off my original after repair value after I went into the house and Sword had a funky layout and Sword had a Jack and Jill bathroom going into the kitchen and all that. So when you're looking at the house, take a discount for that and you can't change the location. So if it's across the street from a gas station or a church in this case, or an elementary school, that's going to be some sort of a value attraction that you have to play in your number. So you know, really just knowing your numbers is super important. How do you come up with 20% off for those things? It's a number that we feel comfortable with. After we see the house now, if there is some funk factors in there, we'll kind of compare it to other homes that have a similar layout or is in a similar location. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of number we see that is selling, the kind of discounts that are coming off for having those factors to the property. Uh, thanks for telling that story. That, that That's pretty cool. Okay. And last question on that. With the property, was it on the market for a while? So could that have been an indication that there was something up to, or was it you were one of the first people to come across it? No, it wasn't on the market at all. We bought it directly from a seller that was moving into a, a retirement home. Okay. 
Got it. It was just a number I gave him, and that's why he was really happy with it. I should have known. With the church and the elementary school example, I could easily see the seller saying that that's an advantage and an amenity, and they shouldn't receive a discount. So what would your response be? I've heard the St. Joe also. Schools can get extremely busy with parking and noise at 9 o'clock and, and 3 o'clock again, which could be a disturbance, especially if it's a high school. You know, I know when I was in high school, I was hanging out doing God knows what. So that could be another disturbance. It really depends. I mean, personally, from my experience, when we have something on the market, most of the feedback we get is that they'd rather be on a nice, quiet suburban street without these types of places. Makes sense. By. You two ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. Running your real estate investments as a business is an important ingredient to your success. Pillars of Wealth Creation Podcast will help you get there. Host Todd Dexheimer interviews successful entrepreneurs to discover how to build financial freedom with a focus on business and real estate. Check out pillarsofwealthcreation.com and subscribe today. Best ever book you've read? The best ever book I've read, actually, I just finished reading it. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's an FBI negotiator. Great book. A lot of nice nuggets of information about negotiation, which I think is critical in, in every aspect of life. I've heard a lot of people mention this book many times recently. So it's definitely, I think I've already bought it. It's on my, on my list of books to read. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. I actually listened to it in the car and audiobook. That's my new thing. Best ever deal you've done that we haven't talked about wasn't your first and wasn't your last. Something in between, best ever deal. Another best ever deal. It's actually similar to the deal that Frank discussed, a double close. We bought a home for, I believe it was $100,000. And this home was a complete disaster. We put it on the market for 204 to be exact, and we're able to close it at that number with multiple offers. It was on a lake that helped directly, literally like lake for you. So that was an awesome, easy deal to get done. And you didn't do anything to it? Did nothing to it. Did nothing to it. How'd you find that deal? Same. It's through direct mail. I think that actually was a tax delinquent. He was on the tax delinquent list, that particular person. Best ever way you like to give back? Frank and I, we run something called Deal House, and it's a monthly meetup, and it's something that we put together for other investors and those in the real estate space. And essentially, we talk kind of what we're doing today about some of the things we've done well, some things we haven't done well. Others come and share their advice, and we network together. So that's something we do once a month, and it's actually an in-person meetup. It's called Deal House. So that's something we we really like to do. Where is that hosted? We host it in New Rochelle in the Radisson, and it's the third Thursday of every month, 7 p.m. All right. Well, best ever listeners, if you're in upstate, I call that upstate. It, it, should I not call that upstate New Rochelle? Um, you know, I, I think it's, no, it's not really, you know, for us, we don't consider, we wouldn't consider that upstate. That's like Westchester. Upstate, yeah. we'd consider it's like 40 you know, minutes Albany from or, the city. Yeah. If, if you, if for all the best ever listeners who, who want to travel 40 minutes from the city or are near New Rochelle, then definitely check that out. Sounds like a really cool meetup. Awesome. We'd love to see you there. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Which is a perfect segue into this. Awesome. Best ever listeners can get in touch with us one of a few ways. You can find us on sdfcapitalllc.com, three L's. 
or they could find us on dealhouseny.com. We're redoing the site as we speak. They can find also, we have some videos as well on YouTube under Dealhouse. And like I said, the in-person meetup at Dealhouse as well. Very cool. And the Dealhouse website is dealhouseNYC or NY? Just NY. NY. And we're in, in the process of putting up a new site. Sweet. Well, thank you, you two, for being on the show and talking about your fund and what you did prior to this, lessons learned with partnerships, and then the fund as far as when it makes sense to put a fund together and when it might not make as much sense to put the fund together. And then lastly, just talking about how you're getting your marketing leads and the most effective ways that you're doing that with direct mail, how you're approaching the direct mail. You might include some postcards in the future to reach more people or reach them more frequently rather. And then how you found some of your most profitable deals and then lessons learned on a not so profitable one. How much money did you lose on that not so profitable one, the funk factor one? We couldn't sell it and we had to put a rental in there and we're actually negative about $150 per month. Oh, all right. Well, what do you think it's worth now compared to all in price that you have in it? No, I'd say probably our loss, if we were to have to take that loss today, would probably be about $20,000. If it was a year and a half ago or two years and this happened, it, it probably would have been, you know, around 30. Yeah. Good. Well, keep on holding and may- maybe it will continue to appreciate. But more importantly, I, I don't want to end on that note, by the way. <laughs> more importantly, I really enjoyed learning about how you made money and the lessons learned along the way. I was just curious about that one thing. Well, thank you too for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, awesome. Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Awesome. Running your real estate investments as a business is an important ingredient to your success. Pillars of Wealth Creation Podcast will help you get there. Host Todd Dexheimer interviews successful entrepreneurs to discover how to build financial freedom with a focus on business and real estate. Check out PillarsOfWealthCreation.com and subscribe today.